Judge Jeanine Pirro. She's the outspoken host. Judge Jeanine Pirro is dominating the headlines right now. This is the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Sunday Morning Show. Now, here's Judge Jeanine Pirro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. I hope everyone has enjoyed their day so far. It's a wonderful day here in New York City. It's raining. I don't like rain. I'd rather it be snow, especially this time of year. But as always, we're armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. A lot happened in America this week. I got to tell you, the question whether or not Hunter Biden would testify before the congressional committee that is doing the work of the Department of Justice and the FBI since they refused to do it. Uh, The question of whether Hunter Biden would testify was answered when he showed up and gave a middle finger to Congress and decided that he wasn't going to testify. But what he did was a little smarty thing. He went over to the Senate side, had a little presser and said that he's been abused by the media and by the MAGA Republicans that, you know, they shouldn't try to take him down like this that he is, uh, and his father is a wonderful man, and his father was never financially involved in his business. Now, ain't that special? First of all, Joe Biden said he didn't know anything about his son's business. Then he was never involved in his son's business, and now Hunter comes out and says he was never financially involved. Well, that begs the question, folks, doesn't it? If he wasn't financially involved, how was he involved? Because it, you qualified it means you couldn't make the general statement that he was not involved. And, of course, you couldn't do that because we've got uh, whistleblowers and we've got emails, pictures, Joe Biden using fake names to send information to Hunter and his partners, Joe Biden meeting with the partners, uh, all kinds of money in 12, I think it's 12 or 20 shell corporations setting up the Biden family, the husbands, the wives, the ex-wives, the children, the grandchildren, everybody's got loads of money. And wasn't Joe Biden supposed to be the poorest guy in Congress who is from Scranton, Pennsylvania and takes the train? Well, folks, he's been winking and nodding while he tells us that he hasn't done anything wrong because it's pretty clear that once he said his father was not financially involved, we need to understand how his father was involved because he never said. Hunter never said his father was not involved. And, you know, the amazing thing is $3.5 million went from a Russian woman uh, in 2014 to Hunter. And within a week, uh, the Russians annexed Crimea. Now, at the time, Joe Biden was vice president. And all the oligarchs were sanctioned by the United States. We, we sanctioned those Russian oligarchs. But guess who didn't get sanctioned? The woman who just gave Hunter $3.5 million. Isn't that special? And within a month, that same woman meets with Hunter Biden and the owner of Burisma in Italy. And at the meeting, there's an agreement that Hunter's going to go on the board of Burisma. 
And on the same, in the same year, the head of Burisma contacts Hunter and says, we're under pressure from a prosecutor. Hunter calls his dad. And three days later, Joe Biden gets on Air Force Two, goes over there and threatens Ukraine. You don't get rid of that prosecutor on my son's company. You're not getting a billion dollars of American money. And I ain't making that up, folks. Joe Biden said it himself. So we are now uh, in a situation where the Republicans have agreed that they are in the midst of an impeachment inquiry. And right now, uh, we're going to see witnesses and testimony from Washington on this. So we're going to be speaking with Garrett Ventry on this and talking about what the impact will be on Joe Biden's campaign. And we're also going to be talking about that real whiz, Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, who not only couldn't say that it was against the code of conduct of Harvard to uh, threaten the extermination of the Jewish people, uh, but she's also been accused of plagiarizing everything, including her uh, doctoral thesis, uh, at least 27 times, 27 different items. So we're going to be talking with a Dr. Carol Swain, who is a brilliant academic and whose own writings were copied by the president of Harvard. We'll get her take. So it's going to be a great show, folks. And, of course, never forget, that's a commitment we made on 9-11. Honor it by donating $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. And up next here on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will be speaking with Garrett Ventry, who will be talking to us about what's going on in Washington right here on the Red Apple Audio Network. Judge Janine. This is the Janine Puro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Welcome back to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Joining us now is a political strategist and the founder and principal of GRV Strategies, LLC. Please join me in welcoming Garrett Ventry to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. All right, Garrett Ventry, good to have you with us uh, today, especially given the news of the week. Uh, this week, there was a dog and pony show at the Capitol where Hunter Biden was subpoenaed by the House, I believe, Oversight Committee, and he decided to defy a subpoena. And But he went on the Senate side and made a statement that was kind of like an opening statement where he said, I haven't done anything wrong and my father hasn't done anything wrong. And this is all about MAGA. So let's try to parse this thing out. The thing that I found most stunning was when he said, my father was not financially involved in my business. Now, that went from Joe Biden saying, I don't know anything about the business, to I'm not involved in the business, to his son saying he's not financially involved. And as a prosecutor, the first thing that comes to mind is, if you're qualifying his involvement, then what is the rest of the involvement that you're not admitting to? What say you, Garrett Ventry? That's right, Judge, and I appreciate you having me on. That's a very uh, interesting point that you just laid out there. I mean, 
there's a number of things that are happening there. You point out and you point this out over and over again, very smartly over the last few months, the shift in messaging from Joe Biden's White House. Like you said, it went from he has zero knowledge or involvement in Hunter Biden's business dealings to he was not in business with Hunter Biden. Now it's, oh, he actually didn't benefit financially. That's the next stage of this development here. And so we've seen lie after lie there. And there's ample evidence that Joe Biden had knowledge and was involved, right? We have firsthand witnesses. We have IRS whistleblowers. We have documents, bank statements that prove that Joe Biden was put on speakerphone on dozens of occasions, that he attended dinner meetings, events with Hunter's shady foreign business clients while he was vice president. So we know he lied about that. The big question here, too, which is very interesting and the most disturbing thing of this all is, did he shift any policy to benefit the Biden family at all? I would argue that with the advocating of the firing of the Ukrainian prosecutor who is investigating Burisma, which Hunter Biden sat on that Ukrainian energy company getting $1 million a year, Joe Biden was charged with overseeing a lot of that policy situation, advocated for the firing of that prosecutor who was looking into corruption at Burisma. That's moving and shifting United States policy to benefit Hunter Biden. As we all know, Hunter was getting a lot of pressure from his business associates to have D.C. deliver on that. And so, again, there's a lot to unpack here. The second thing real quick that I would just point out is it's very interesting that Democrats prosecuted and you know referred Steve Bannon to the DOJ for mm-hmm. failing to comply with the congressional subpoena. It would be very interesting to see if Merrick Garland treats Hunter Biden, the same as he did with Steve Bannon, or that they try to give him another sweetheart deal like they already attempted to in Delaware. Yeah, and in that regard, Garrett Ventry, from the time that Steve Bannon uh, decided not to appear before Congress to the time that he was actually convicted of contempt and he did go to jail, uh, was one year. So can you imagine the Department of Justice a year from a couple days ago this week putting Hunter Biden in justice for uh, in jail for contempt of a subpoena? And, you know, they can try to split the hairs and say, well, you know, they didn't have a real inquiry at that point, And so they didn't have subpoena power. They did because oversight has subpoena power. Judiciary has subpoena power uh, and his flaunting. Uh, the House and going to the Senate side to make a statement. As far as I'm concerned, he was putting up a middle finger to uh, the Republicans. And when Hunter Biden gave this speech and saying that the the MAGA Republicans are trying so hard to destroy me, uh, it really is, you know, kind of he's tone deaf as though forgetting about even going into Joe Biden and his father, the real issue is whether or not in violating uh, the tax laws and the foreign agent and money laundering and 150 suspicious uh, suspicious financial transactions, you know, he should be able to just walk scot-free. And he thinks that this is not about uh, uh, anything, any wrongdoing, that he's an innocent victim who is being tormented because he was a drug abuser. We're not talking about whether or not he's a drug addict. We're talking about whether or not he's committed crimes, whether or not he has used his father's name to benefit financially with foreign businesses. And the answer to that is clearly yes. And let's be real about this here. This is not MAGA Republicans who are just prosecuting him. This is the Biden Justice Department who is bringing charges against him, his father's Justice Department. So 
that this is somehow, you know, Republicans just bringing things out of thin air. It's not. Now, Republicans have exposed a massive corruption scheme here. They've exposed uh, the Department of Justice trying to give them a sweetheart deal on, you know, the uh, tax charges on illegal possession of a firearm. They've exposed that and trying to give him blanket immunity for all future charges, probably to deal with what you pointed out very smartly, Judge, to deal with the Foreign Registration Act here, mm-hmm. acting as a foreign agent on behalf of you know foreign countries and foreign businesses. And so that talking point that Hunter has done is just completely off base here again. Now, Republicans have exposed it, but it is his father's Justice Department and U.S. attorneys that are bringing these charges against him that he's facing. And, you know, but for that judge, Judge, I think it was Nareka, uh, you know, pulling the fact out of the plea deal that the uh, immunity in perpetuity uh, was in the gun agreement. Uh, but for her identifying that, this case might have gone through. And once she identified what looked like shady dealings in that plea agreement, uh, they actually went to the Department of Justice. She said, has the Department of Justice ever done this before? And the prosecutor had to stand up and say no. So, I mean, they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar. But I, I'll tell you what's frustrating is that we've had to at, uh, we've had to watch this thing play out in Congress as opposed to in the FBI and the Department of Justice. In fact, within, um, you know, the Department of Justice and the IRS, but for the whistleblowers, you know, and but for finding this this laptop, as, uh, you know, Miranda uh, has talked about with the New York Post, uh, Miranda Devine, uh, we would never have known about half this stuff. I mean, the, the, the circumstantial evidence and the complementary evidence is in the laptop, and yet he wants to go there and complain that he's being persecuted. What I find amazing is that in the new tax indictment, a lot, the two years of tax crimes were committed after he admits that he was clean. So if you read his book, Beautiful Things, or whatever the name of it is called, he says he was clean in the years that the Department of Justice has been able to indict him. I think it's 18 and 19 for not even filing tax returns. I mean, how obnoxious and, and do you have to be to think that you can get away with all of this and then go plead that, oh, my God, I had problems and, and they're just trying to destroy me. And I haven't even gotten into the fact that Joe Biden, three days after they find out there's a prosecutor looking to take down Burisma, Joe Biden flies out on Air Force Two and tells him, get rid of the prosecutor or I'm not giving you a billion dollars of American money and then admits to it in, in front of the American people. No, absolutely, Judge. And that is the most important thing there. You said a lot of very interesting things, but the most important one is, and let's not forget, it, it, it take a step back here in terms of the firing of the Ukrainian prosecutor and withholding aid. Democrats impeached Donald Trump for pointing out this corruption, <laughs> yeah. right? Donald Trump didn't try to benefit for his family. He didn't try to, you know, get anything for himself. He's frankly the only president who's literally lost, you know, his net worth has gone down right. since he's, you know, when he left office, all the other ones shoot up. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's very interesting that he shifted policy, United States foreign policy, Joe Biden did is as vice president so that Hunter Biden could continue to benefit financially and for his clients. That is major corruption of the highest level. And that's what house Republicans have uncovered here. And you're totally right without the laptop, Hunter Biden is the only person I know who's ever videotaped his crimes and documented them (laughs) and then dropped them off 
and then forgot to pick it up and didn't have a password on his laptop. I mean, it's absolute like bizarre stuff. You could not write the Netflix story to this, right? It's absolutely insane. (laughs) And so a lot of this is like Hunter's documented his crimes, right? He exposed Mm -hmm. that Joe Biden was part of these meetings. There's emails, the vice president's schedule. There's all of these troves of information that are coming directly from Hunter. And so that is the, you know, most crazy thing here for Joe Biden. He's got to be you know, I'm sure he loves his son, but the, the thing that's got to be really tough here is just that, you know, if he never drops off the laptop, you know, we don't know 99 percent of this stuff. Right. 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 There's no question Eddie not dropped it off. Uh, and now he says it was stolen. First, it wasn't his. Then it was stolen. Uh, and uh, then he admitted it was his. And they used they used all of their contacts in the government to come out and say this laptop is Russian disinformation. And it really is incredible that they can say, uh, you know, the uh, the heads of all of these agencies uh, would be willing to say it's Russian disinformation when they knew that it was Hunter's laptop. And the Hunter's uh, associates and partners were actually going into the White House and meeting with Joe Biden. And that is just amazing. And Joe Biden is communicating not only with Hunter, but with some of his partners under a pseudonym emails where he's using a different name to obviously hide the fact that he's communicating information from the White House to the business partners of Hunter Biden. And all of the emails that say, you know, hopefully you won't be like me and you'll have to give half your salary to pop when he's communicating uh, with another family member. It is it is really pathetic. And yet Joe Biden is running around saying, you know, show me the money. Well, I think we've shown about $20 million. Garrett Venture, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to talking with you again. This is the Janine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Pirro. Joining me now is an American political scientist, a legal scholar, a uh, retired professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University. Uh, She is a woman uh, with a strong moral core, someone that I've known for a very long time. And trust me, folks, the woman is an academic and she actually makes sense. Please join me in welcoming my good friend, Dr. Carol Swain, to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Now, um, if you don't know about Dr. Carol Swain, just so you know, uh, she obtained early tenure at Princeton and full professorship at Vanderbilt, where she was a professor of political science and a professor of law. Uh, she has had three presidential appointments. She is a distinguished senior fellow for constitutional studies with the Texas Public uh, Policy Foundation, as well as a, a number of other awards. Uh, but I brought her in today because she is particularly involved in some of the news that we've been talking about, which has to do with what's going on in our colleges and universities and the moral rot that we're witness to. So first of all, let me say hello to Dr. Dr. Carol Swain, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Swain, you know, we've heard so much about Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, who amazingly before everyone in this country could not say that the uh, threatening the Holocaust or 
extermination of the Jewish people uh, was not a violation of the code of conduct of the college of which she is president. Uh, it was almost as though that was a difficult question for her to answer. So she was asked it multiple times and she's kept saying, well, it depends on the context. Uh, what is your reaction to that? I felt that the three university professors had been coached by someone who was radically out of touch with America and that they were so wedded to that coaching, they could not answer the way individuals normally would be able to have a gut reaction. They should have had they should have ended up at the same place, but they should have been using different words because it seemed as if they had been coached. I found their performances appalling, but I was not surprised because American education has declined to the point that it really is like a a Marxist indoctrination center. And the Ivy League, the most elite institutions in America, have been taken over by people on the far left. And they're being led by people that are kind of like, I don't want to call them fools, but I can tell you (laughs) that it used to be you would have your college presidents and your deans. And when the undergrads, because some of them, you know, freshmen, the first time away from home, they're supposed to, you know, come up with ridiculous ideas or or want to challenge everything. Mm -hmm. But you want adults on campus, adults to set moral uh, uh, guidance. And, uh, and to steer young people. But what we have seen over the last decade or two is that these uh, universities, pretty much the inmates, these you know <laughs> young people are running other prison. So many progressive leftists that they as the heads of corporations is because they've come out of these, as you call them, Marxist indoctrination centers. But but the the fundamental uh, the reaction that everyone has, I think you summed it up when you said she couldn't answer normally. And you know what, Doctor Swain, everyone's been prepped, whether it's for to appear before a committee or before a boss or be, you know in a in a legal case, whatever it might be. But you know when you get the question repeatedly at some point you have to say to yourself you know maybe I'm missing the question and when she was asked several times the same question uh, that if you had substituted uh, you know if they were calling for the exterminations of blacks she wouldn't have hesitated I believe to say well that is a violation of our uh, code of conduct but she had the opportunity and she never quite pulled back from it depends on the context but I think more more, more particular to you uh, and of great concern to many people is the fact that the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, is someone who has been accused of outright plagiarism. And, and we're not just talking about, you know, a comma or a quotation or, you know, an interchange of words, because very often people take the thoughts of other people, change the words, and, you know, that might be okay. But we're talking about blocks of statements written by other people that she has just transformed as part of her own uh, uh, statement or writing, even to the point of her own doctoral thesis, which in particular, she seems to have plagiarized some of the uh, items that you have written. Can you explain that? And I also want to say just Janine, she won a prize for her undergraduate thesis at Harvard uh, on economics and she won a prize for her dissertation. And I hear people, they have checked her dissertation, they've checked her writings, but has anyone checked that senior thesis? 
because that's really what put her on the map. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's no excuse excuses that can be made for what she did. When I first heard about it Sunday evening, I wanted to reserve judgment because I thought it could have been an accident and her committee sure. should have caught it. But then when I actually looked at her writings on Monday, I was shocked. Um, I was surprised that her career, basically, the articles that had gotten her tenure, I would argue were derivative of my prize-winning book, Black Faces, Black Interests, The Representation of African Americans in Congress, published in 1993 uh, and reprinted uh, a, a couple of other times. But it won three national prizes, was cited by the U.S. Supreme Court, was wow. considered path-breaking and the seminal work in that area. And when I earned early tenure at Princeton, the standards were clear. You had to have a path-breaking uh, book. In fact, the Ivy League wasn't interested in articles. They were only interested in books. That was mm-hmm. the standard. Well, when I looked at her work, she also had worked with um, minority representation, black representation, Congress. And you would think that if there is a senior scholar who's done path-breaking work, that you would engage uh, uh, that work to either refute it, to affirm it, or to expand it. She didn't do that. She would have me listed uh, uh, in her bibliography, but not really in a way that if you were reading her papers, you would think she came up with the idea of pursuing that line of inquiry. You wouldn't know that she was really building on ideas that I popularized in my award-winning book that was considered you know, seminal in that area of representation. So I became very upset about that, but mostly I was sad on Monday. I was curious mm-hmm. on Sunday. I was sad on Monday, but Tuesday I was livid. And I'm not a personality who gets upset. I almost never get angry, but I was so angry. I felt like I was going to blow a head gasket because <laughs> there was no accountability and the people at Harvard were going to stand behind her and they were even, and they're still trying to do this, right. to redefine what is plagiarism. I saw an article last night in American Prospect where where uh, Robert Kuttner was saying that I was the only one that was calling it plagiarism. The other people that she lifted passages from, and this is not exactly true, but this is what he said, that I was the only one. There are some other people that are upset, but many of them said, oh, it's all right. It's it's Okay. I mean, you can't uh, just absolve someone from accountability and responsibility because you like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were saying, oh, it, it's okay that she didn't uh, give us proper attribution. In my case, it's not okay. It had a lasting impact on my career in the sense that in academia, your statue is determined by how many times your work is cited. So even though I had similar work in the area, she was not citing it the way she should have been. And students that would go to her work, uh, you know, they would cite Cite her work. They wouldn't know about my work. There's a ripple effect. Right, right. Well, you know, the interesting thing is when the New York, um, Dr. Carol Swain, when the New York Post uh, uh, brought these allegations of plagiarism to Harvard and they wanted some reaction from the Post, um, the Harvard actually hired a law firm uh, that sent a several-page letter to the New York Post threatening them uh, with defamation if they claim that 
Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, was was committing plagiarism. And the interesting part of it is that uh, the person who was doing this was part of the Biden-Harris transition team and is a former Hillary Clinton aide. This is something that not only uh, is the other person not entitled to do and not entitled to get credit for, but it takes, as you say so well, it takes the credit from you. But they really are trying to redefine plagiarism because they want to keep Claudine Gay president. What is so special about her other than she seems to be a political operative whose, you know, definitions depend on politics? I'll tell you what's special about her. She's a product of their system because she went to Phillips Exeter Academy, uh, one of the most elite uh, boarding schools in America. They would call themselves the most elite. And then she had her Harvard education where she won a prize for her senior thesis. And again, she won a prize for her uh, dissertation that we know uh, was plagiarized. And when I look at her work, the work she presented at Stanford for tenure, that would not have gotten anyone tenure in the Ivy League when I came through. And so she is a product of their elite system. And when people ask me, well, why, you know, why aren't you at Harvard? Uh, Why aren't you further along? I don't have the right pedigree. And ever since I've been in academia, I have noticed that the people who get favored, white or black, are the people that have the right pedigree. They went to the right schools. And for someone like me, I guess I've always been an outsider. And I certainly think outside the box. I've been very creative. This is not the first time I've had someone borrow my ideas. Even in graduate school, that was a problem. One professor charged another professor with plagiarism of my work in graduate school. (laughs) And so this has been uh, something that I have seen happen again and again. And it bothers me more with Claudine Gay because she is so mediocre. And I think it's insulting not just to racial and ethnic minorities, but to every American who has worked hard playing by the rules uh, to achieve uh, what they've achieved. And for someone like her to be protected every step of the way, not held to the same standards, and Harvard thinks they're going to be able to get away with it? I don't think so. And I've told people (laughs) that, I mean, the thing that gets me is they are willing to harm higher education in America as well as K through 12 education, because if they try to redefine pleasurism, it's going to affect uh, every level of education. But their brand, which is already in the toilet, as far as I'm concerned, they would rather um, hurt their brand than to admit they made a mistake with, with Claudine Gay. They made a mistake when they hired her from Stanford and made her a full professor, when they made her dean of faculty, when they made her president, and when they decided to keep her president. And those answers she gave during the testimony, she was more concerned about not offending the left. Uh, That was why I believe she gave her answers. I believe they were all coached, but she wasn't going to give. And that's one uh, explanation. The other is that she wasn't smart enough or she didn't have the moral character to know that what she was saying was so horrific. 
Harvard tried very hard to clear her of breaching these plagiarism standards, you know, before she testified so that no one would know about it. Again, th the threatening the New York Post, uh, you know, just covering up everything for her. She's only been there a year. I don't know that she's so special given all of these. Uh, there are t at least 10 instances where she lifted full sentences. Uh, and uh, we're just finding out more as time goes on. And Harvard, it appears, is willing to take the hit because the truth is that even though they're a private university, they get federal funds, they have federal contracts, they get federal tax benefits. And, you know, you've got some major donors who were like, if, if, if there are Jewish students on campus to get to the, the core issue here, who are afraid to go to class, who are being told, don't wear your yarmulke, don't wear the Star of David, you know, um, and, and don't go to class if you're afraid. Well, then they're pulling back some major money. Why would they risk all that for this woman and and I'm going to ask you yeah. an, an even tougher question if she were a white male would she be gone if she were a white woman or a black conservative she'd be gone and so uh, look at how they've treated Roland Fryer a uh, an economist at Harvard who really is brilliant who doesn't have the same pedigree I mean she's done everything possible to try to destroy his life and with uh, Harvard, I think that they can't indict Claudine Gay without indicting themselves. And so that's mm -hmm. why uh, people have come together across political uh, science, because they have said that distinguished political scientists have said that it's not plagiarism. It is absurd uh, for them to say that it's not plagiarism. And if I were Claudine Gay, if I had gotten myself in such a, a situation because it was my undergraduate uh, alma mater and because so many people, you know, believed in me, I would not want to hurt them, hurt the institution, yep. hurt higher yep. education. The mm -hmm. right thing to do would be to step down. And I'm telling you, they would give her a soft landing. My friend, Dr. Carol Swain, I continue to be impressed with you. You are uh, an incredible uh incredible academic and a very special person. Thank you so much for joining the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. We wish you well, and we're going to have you back. I want to see how you're going to be like white on rice. You're a stitch too. <laughs> Take care, Dr. Carol Swain. Thank you. You're welcome. And there she is, folks. She is an incredible woman. I've known her for many years. Strong, smart, articulate, the whole deal. Anyway, uh, we are going to continue with the show in just a few minutes. It's the Judge Janine Show. This is the Janine Bureau Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Okay, now it's time for me to gavel out my closing argument. All right. So when the facts don't fit, what you do now is you redefine the crime. And that's what they're doing at Harvard University. These bozos want so much to keep a plagiarist, a woman who has no moral core as it relates to the protection of Jewish students on campus, on the campus of the most elite university in the United States, Harvard College, the best way to make sure that someone 
is not responsible for a crime is to change the definition of the crime. If you change the definition of the crime, then they get away with it. And that's exactly what happened at Harvard University. Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, was an embarrassment when she appeared before the American people and kept saying it depended on the context as to whether or not it violated the code of conduct of Harvard to threaten the extermination of Jewish students, to call for the extermination of Jews in this country. It is outrageous. And the president had no qualms. She kept being asked about it. And after three separate times, she kept saying the same thing. It depends on the context. No, it does not depend on the context. And so you say to yourself, what's going on here? Does this woman not care about all the students at Harvard? If you substituted African-American students for Jewish students, might she at least be able to reach into whatever moral course she might have and say it is against the code of conduct at Harvard to threaten or to exterminate students of color? Of course she would have said that's a violation of the code, but she couldn't say it about Jewish students. But it gets worse, folks, because she's a plagiarist. They have approximately 27 times where she plagiarized other people's works. And you heard from Dr. Carol Swain, who is an incredible academic uh, with an incredible reputation, whose own work was plagiarized by Claudine Gay at Harvard. And no one, no one protected Dr. Carol Swain, not that she needed protecting, but she came up the ladder the hard way. She earned her way up the ladder. Claudine Gay was part of the clique. She's part of the leftist clique where Harvard University actually threatened the New York Post and said, if you write anything about Claudine Gay being a plagiarist, we're going to sue you. And then the lawyers call. It's no surprise. The people who were threatening were people who were connected to the Biden's uh, 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 Harris campaign and someone who had worked with Hillary Clinton. Our universities are not what they used to be. Our job is to recognize that we have to stop giving them whatever money they are getting from the government, whether it's a government contract, whether it's any kind of a tax benefit that they get that ordinary businesses, ordinary Americans don't get. We've got to strip them of that. Because if the colleges don't have a moral core and Harvard does not, we've got to at least make sure that they're not getting our money. Anyway, we're out of time already. Make sure you join us next Sunday for the latest in the news and the outrage. Same time, same place, same me for the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.